Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to episode 48 of the Scaling Your Business podcast for this episode we are going up north to David Russell, the CEO of Host Ireland Business Broadband. David, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Tough to have you. As usual, typical thing we do with guests here, go back to the very beginning and work away from there. So with you, you grew up in County Down. Any favourite or standout memories of growing up in Down? I don't think I have any standout memories. I think my memory of County Down is... So I grew up in Warren Point and I went to school in... Ross Trevor and then Kilkeel. And it's quite a, it's rural, it's countryside, it's seaside. So I think just the overall memory of growing up in the countryside and by the seaside. And one point when I was growing up was particularly quiet. You know, growing up in Northern Ireland at the time of the Troubles, we weren't really touched by it. Once we had, well, there was two bombs, one, one in my lifetime. Uh, but it was very, very quiet, very sheltered a very easy and, and, and lovely existence and I'm, I'm very fortunate with my family and we were a happy family and all that sort of stuff so no standout memories just a very happy childhood some of my guests say to me that uh, it wasn't necessarily while they're growing up that they could appreciate where they came from it was only when they left and looking back are you the same as that or did you always have a fond oh, appreciation for no you don't like the, the, the way i went to school so i drove i went this little rural school in Cullowan and then on to, to St. Louis in Kilkeel and every day I drove right around Carlingford Lock, the, the, the perimeter, you know, sort of on that road that leads you from one point for Strever to Cullowan to Kilkeel and if anyone knows it they'll know how absolutely beautiful that area is and anyone who doesn't know it should absolutely get up there and check it out but it was it's just stunning and only when you bring somebody so one of the businesses that I was involved in was a drinks distribution company which was based in one point and still is. And we would have brought people from the UK or from the South or from the US. And only when you bring people in or you go and visit it living in Dublin or living in Belfast as I did, or, or, or when I spent time in Oxford, do you actually realize how absolutely beautiful the area is? Absolutely beautiful. Now, I'm kind of biased because I think it's more beautiful when you stand in Carlingford and meet looking over at one point but I'm sure people from Carlingford and Meath would say the opposite. Uh, but no, you don't, like, I mean, when you grew up there, you didn't, you, it's, it's like anywhere you grow up, you, it's just becomes mundane day to day. And when you return to it, you realize how absolutely stunning and what a fortunate and lucky we were as children to grow up there. Before we move on from down, when you went to Belfast at 18, you can answer this from the Belfast perspective or down. Uh, who do you think had the biggest impact on you growing up? Uh, oh goodness! Um, I had a few people. I suppose uh, it, it would. I mean, my mum and dad, my dad particularly. So I've always, uh, you know, dad and I worked together in business. I always watched him and his career. Uh, so he had a huge, huge impact. I also had, you know, a number of teachers in St. Louis who, where I went to school, who, who were incredible. I have an absolute love for reading and history, and that came from my history teacher, and that still carries through and so forth. So, but I, I think if if you were to pick up one person, it would have to be my dad. Nice. I saw that you went to college or university in Queens, Belfast, did law with politics. Where did the interest in law come from? Did anyone inspire so you to? It didn't. That? No. I, I mean, I think 
it, I don't regret doing law, but if I, if I could revisit that, I probably wouldn't. I didn't want to do law, actually. I wanted to do history of politics because they were my loves. And somebody pointed out, but you do law, you'd always get a job law. Uh, so, and at the time, I didn't think I would get the qualifications to do law, if I'm totally honest. My teachers thought I would, my parents thought I would, but I doubted myself. So I said, hey, I put it down, you can't see what happens. Got it, got into law, arrived in, never had a want to become a solicitor at all, even though I went on from Cordova, Oxford, did my LPC there, which is legal qualification, uh, and did all that sort of stuff, but never had any interest to do law. Uh, or become a solicitor or a barrister but I did it anyway because it was a good footing and I always remember our first lecture in Queen's which was introduction to law and it was held weirdly I suppose Northern Ireland or Ireland is a village and, and the north is an even smaller village but the lecturer was a woman called Eileen Fagan and Eileen Fagan was from Ross Trevor the town over from where I'm from I know her and she didn't know me she knew my mother but that was you know Anyway, so she says, she said at the front and she says, you're all here law, all 310 of you. You're very welcome to Queen's Law. But did you know you don't have to do law to be a solicitor? In fact, most successful people or most people with successful legal career didn't do law. And half the room went, oh, yeah, that's right. And the other half went, oh, what? And the horror. So I never wanted to do law. And I wasn't necessarily inspired to do law. I wasn't one of these people who dreamt of it for, 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 for years and years and years. I kind of fell into it. The fact that you moved to Belfast at 18 has me guessing that you did your leaving cert in Down. Mm -hmm. I know that when I put points on my, uh, to get into college, I had to accept the first place offer. Was that the same case with you, that whatever was your first, you had to accept it? Is that why you ended up in law? Yeah, I, I ended up in law because I didn't, I was as green as I was cabbage looking. I, I didn't know not to do it. I, I kind of assumed that was the right thing to do. I Fair. I did my A-levels in, in Northern Ireland and I got what I required and was, was, I worked hard at it, but I was delighted with what I achieved. And because law was and probably still is, but certainly was quite, uh, um, you know, you were seen to have done very well. To, you know, to have gotten into law, um, I said, okay, let's let's give it a lash, and and I did it. Yeah, I, I, I there you went back to unity TCD sometime later, and I do want to touch on that. But uh, before we move on into business, you mentioned that you moved to Belfast at eighteen. For those who haven't been to Belfast, fabulous place. I've been several times. I, the first time I went, there was I got up at three a.m. in the morning when I could first drive and drove to Belfast to see where the Titanic was built. I just had a fascination of seeing it. I've been up and stayed several times since. If anyone hasn't been to Belfast, what one place would you say they should see if they were ever to visit it? One place is difficult. I suppose Titanic is the most famous and it's such a big area and it kind of reflects the new Belfast. But Belfast is such a multifaceted, multi-layered city. I mean, you obviously, we know it on the news over the years and more recently, unfortunately, by the troubles and the, and the, the strife that's happened there. But actually, it was a, it's a very historic city. It was a very industrial city right up until kind of the 1970s, 80s. You know, at one stage, it, it, it was larger than Dublin. It was, you know, the workhorse of, of the island when it was, you know, one island, so to speak. You know, it, this, it has a large, I think, the latest, largest city hall in Europe. It had ran, random stuff like the first air-conditioned building, the first female pilot, the largest by dock, and all this sort of stuff. Oh. So it's incredibly industrious, and the people are incredibly special. Like I grew up in Warren Point. I, I was very, I was very shy, 18-year-old, and any of my teachers, my friends, would say I was incredibly shy. 
Uh, and I, when I went to university, I discovered Belfast and I discovered Queen's Rowing. And Queen's Rowing for me was a turning point. I was never a particularly good rower, but getting involved in sport, I, grew, I went into the Catholic education system, went to a Catholic grammar school in Northern Ireland. And you know, my position always is, I think schooling should be amalgamated in, in across religion in, in Northern Ireland, but putting that aside, um, I didn't like Gaelic football. I, did, I was no good at it. I had no hand-eye coordination. I was absolutely horrific. I discovered rowing and the love of sport. And to me, Queen's Rowing was a game changer for me personally, because it pivoted me towards being much more outward much more team focused, you know, social. I got involved in lots of different stuff, came on the committees, helped organize the Queen's Trinity boat race, all of this sort of stuff. So it was a big turning point for me. So that really got me to love Belfast. And I find Belfast much more of a formative experience to me in my formative years. And I absolutely, to this day, love Belfast. My husband, you know, is sick of hearing about it. But when I go to Belfast, I just have that feeling of, you know, where I am is home, obviously. It's where my husband is, it's where I live. Yeah. But I always find Belfast as a second home, probably maybe slightly more than one point. Um, and I have loads of friends up there. And I just love the people up there. I love the feeling of being there. It's a fabulous city. And what is yeah. shown or reflected in the media is just the tip of the iceberg of what is, I just think, one of the most incredible cities to visit. And, you know, you go on to various little planets and time and all these different publications. They always put Belfast as one of the, top cities in Europe if not the world and I think recently it was voted the friendliest city in in the UK and Northern Ireland GB in Northern Ireland whatever political connotation you put onto it so uh, it's a fabulous city and everybody should visit and get immersed in it the food scene is incredible the pub scene is incredible the people are lovely fabulous shopping it's even cheaper than Dublin and again most places are yeah. uh, so it's a great city and, and it definitely has to be experienced and for me it was it, it was I was there for on and off for 12 years and it was an incredibly happy 12 years. Moving on to work after, uh, actually, let me backtrack for a second. Your first role was a sales executive um, and we will get to the business right at the moment, but do you have any favorite memories or lessons learned from your role as a sales executive? Yeah, that was, so, so that was the invest in Northern Ireland and that was trying to find my way as into what I wanted to do job-wise. And I applied for this grad program to invest in Northern Ireland and got placed with a company called Fluent Technology. And actually that was, in terms of career, I was really fortunate. So I worked under a guy called Keith Turkington. Um, Keith was, had vast experience in, in the, particularly software as a service, but the software and the computer industry. Going back years, he was very much at the fore of it whenever it was kind of just starting to bubble together. And I don't mean that if he, if he hears this or when he does hear this, he'll think I'm making him sound incredibly old. He's not. He just has a lot of experience in it. But himself and a guy called David Cordner found, found, uh, found it technology. And I worked under Keith. And Keith taught me some of the basics of, of thinking commercially and understanding the commercial reality and commercial value and thinking strategically and long term. And I was really, I was there, I think just around 18 months. But I was really fortunate. I learned a lot from Keith during that short period. And that, that has still helped me to this day and all the other roles I've had and worked in. He was an incredible, great mentor for that short period I was with him. Shout out to Keith as you're listening. I know after your sales role, you moved into a management role in Dixon's. Um, why before the move? Then, oh, yeah. but actually, before then, I, I actually, so we, I left Fluent to get involved in the family business. So we started GDK wow. Drinks, which was the family business. So I then moved from it to Dixon's or Curry's uh, Carpenter Warehouse. I, we started that business, GDK, in 2009. 
it started my father who i mentioned previously was always in the drinks business and always was involved in alcohol he worked for bass brewers which is not now doesn't exist i think it's been through different sort of merge acquisitions has become part yeah. of the cnc group uh, in fact the sales director at the time is now ceo of the of, of cnc ireland uh, a gentleman called tom mccusker but um he's always worked in the drinks business he then was involved in coors launching coors on draft in northern ireland then he was at Bowie vodka uh, the guys there, the Ophelia and Pat Rigney, incredible guys. Um, Pat's went on to do Gunpowder Gin. Um, so he then left that and him and I decided that there might be a little bit of merit around the drinks business. Um, you know, sort of bring brands to market in the Irish market, that yeah. built up an incredible amount of contacts during his, his years in, in the industry. So we started with that and then we launched a few brands and worked with a few existing companies and then we got kind of what was our... Uh, our growth, our, 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 not our silver bullet, but it was a, it was a game changer, a brand called Recorded Exciter, which is a Swedish cider. It doesn't really exist anymore. Coors took it over from us and it totally disappeared. Beautiful. It's a beautiful cider. Yeah. It is. We had it everywhere. Like you wouldn't go into a pub. I remember it, it was an incredible experience to work, to build that business and work on that business. But we had that cider everywhere. And then bigger company came, Coors came, totally disappeared. Yeah, I look for it everywhere I can. I see it nowhere. I'm absolutely devastated. Is it gone completely, there. is it? More or less. It's a handful of places. It's a handful wow. of places, yeah. I mean, I we remember I used to in, drink that. <clears throat> we had it in Crystal. We had it. Most of Harcourt Street had it. You walk through Dublin 2, Dublin 4, Dublin 6. It was in all the bars, all, oh. all the real fashionable bars, all the cool bars had it. Belfast, it was everywhere um you know run it was a fabulous brand it was a fabulous game changer for us as a business because it helped us grow and scale quite quickly and get access to to not just every outlet and in, in licensed outlet in the north of ireland but actually it allowed us to transition into the south of ireland and we worked with a number of partners uh, across the south to launch that brand and we launched everywhere and there was a lot of work put into that brand and it was fabulous but then on the back of that, we got other brands. We got a brand called Jason Myers, which is the Egermeister alternative. And we, got, we launched Fireball Whiskey in, in, in the north uh, and did a bit of work with the size. And then we moved into grocery and we do distribution for like Kyo's Crisps and Manhattan uh, range of popcorns and crisps and peanut butters and so forth. So that, wow. that business grew from 2009 and I worked in that business until 2016. That's when I went to, into Dixon's car. Before we move to Dixon's, you've got to tell me, because I've worked with family as well over the years, what's it like working closely with your father? Uh, it was really good. And there was a lot of mutual learning. I learned a lot from him. And uh, particularly around sales, uh, he, he is probably the best salesman you'll ever find. He's not like he's not an Arthur Daly, if anyone knows you. He's not a second-hand car dealer. Not that there's any wrong second-hand car dealers. No, no offense to me, but you know that stereotype. They've got a bad rep. <laughs> They've got a bad rep. On call for, on call for. But he, uh, he, he, he cared about his customers and still does. Um, he built up very long-term relationships, uh, which he still has. Um, but he, he was a very, he was rare in the sales field. But that brand he had, I suppose, one better term, that he built has helped him and helped him in his career and helped us launch GDK Drinks uh, when we did in 2009. But like, like any family, God, we had stand up Ross, stand up barneys uh we had we had that strange i think a lot of families have particularly if you start within a family business it's not the same but when you go to a meeting with your father with your dad 
and you're meeting people for the first time, you're thinking, do I call him dad? Do I call him Philip? His name is Philip. Yeah. Do you, what do I call him? And sometimes I would, I, I would kind of, I'd say dad, and then you get a strange look, and then you'd use Philip in the next meeting. I remember with one of the buyers with uh, one of the multiple operators, and I called him Philip. And the lady was slightly older lady. She stopped me. She says, no, no, that is your father. You show him the respect he deserves. Call him dad. I was like, wow. So it, it's very hard. But look, we'd stand up rows. Of course we did. But you'd have a stand up row. And then two minutes later, you'd be back because you have that you know, yeah. unbreakable relationship. And we work very well together. We still work well together. I'm not involved in day to day as I once was. But we, we, we were there. And it was a, it was a great support for, for me because I was invested in that business. I remember... We got our first, so when we were start growing that business, we didn't do any distribution ourselves. We didn't have any, we were operating out of the spare bedroom when that business was first started. And we got our first sample uh, pallet of cider that we came in. And it went down to a bar in Warren Point who had storage, but the storage wasn't covered. And dad got us a favor and stored there. And then the bar owner phoned and said, you better come down here. Our very first, we were only days into the recorded business. We, we didn't have what we, we had access to the accounts but we we're still finding our feeling around in the dark so we went down the whole pallet had fallen over in itself totally smartest from the oh and he had the ability and he had the, the the experience to go let's not panic let's pick up what we've got let's use what we've got what, what's left over what isn't in in a thousand pieces yeah. and we use that to move forward with i was there going oh my god what is the point this is sure it's, it's damned before it started so i learned a lot about him from about resilience and about sales and about the relationship piece. So like any family, you stand up rise, but fundamentally it was a great experience to work with. Absolutely. Sounds like your father was a great connector and great at networking. He built up a lot of connections throughout the years from what I've heard you say. Um, I, I do want to move on to Dixon's slightly funny story because you've mentioned what do you call your dad when you're in a room with him? One of my first times in a room with others and I was in business with my dad. He was presenting something and I wanted to get his attention and his name is Paul and I called him Paul and we both for like half a second and I'm still convinced that everyone else knew what was happening for half a second we both looked at each other and we're like what did you just call me what did I just call you and then we moved on but yeah no I can get that feeling totally um so Dixon's you went into a management role in Dixon's gone same question why the move because you were involved in the family business. And I know you said you still have somewhat of a hand in that. And again, any lessons learned or favorite memories from your time there? The, uh, the, so the move was to learn how to operate in a business. So I, I left college, I went, left university, went in and did my time with Fluent. Then got into the family business, was there for a long period, for a long period of time. Didn't learn, I, we built it as we went. We grew organically, but I never worked in a large organization. I never really worked in an organization. It was even a time in Fluent. It was a grad program. There was lots of support from Keith and David and, and, and investment of the own. So I need to learn the hard way how to do it. And once again, so, so, so I think one thing that, that that's probably a common theme is whether it be my dad or others, I always like to connect with you know great people and learn from them. I think you can constantly learn from people that you work with. Um, and I was once again, really fortunate in that role, because I was interviewed by a guy called Mark Finchansky. Mark has since been on to a transformation role with Primark, but he was my boss in Dixon's car phone. Um, and to learn, American guy, set up the shopping in Dublin, Terminal 2, loads of experience. The most organized man you have ever met. Like you, you look at his desk, 
His computer was at right angles. His pens were all his Montblanc pens were beautifully laid out. His orange was beautifully positioned. You could have taken a picture, and every day you went in, you could have taken the same picture, and nothing would have moved because he was so precise. But I learned a lot about detail and about organization and project management. That was his speciality. So I was really fortunate to work with him and to learn from him about retail, but about business and about operating in a larger business and how you kind of manage stakeholders, how you work internally in that big. Because I was used to, we were a small business, but anybody in our team, if I wanted something done, it would get done. We'd have the conversation and we'd just do it different in a large organization you have to manage and and and, and, and uh, stakeholders manage colleagues manage peers all that sort of stuff so it's very different so i learned a lot from him very very quickly so once again really fortunate to be able to work under somebody like mark a word you referenced a couple times in that paragraph was learn and i noticed you've got a shelf of books behind you so is there any books that you're currently reading or podcasts that you listen to to continue to develop oh goodness uh, well i'm actually reading fiction then because i keep reading uh non-fiction because I, I i have this theory that if you're going to invest so much time in the book you should get something out of it but i kind of thought you know what we've all suffered enough in this pandemic about four months to read lots of books uh, but look, i read I, I read the same as a lot of other people i think anyone in business probably reads all the books on facebook and tim cook and jobs and so forth but i've got an interest in economics i read a lot of economic books i read you know recently i've just finished a book called the levelers or the Le- yeah, the leveling sorry um then i also read martin sander i think his name was the economics of belonging so i i like to read all that and find out and try and understand you know yeah. what's going on so it really depends i'm reading lots of books trying to get as much information podcast wise god probably the same as everybody else uh you know the daily the new york times podcast uh re- you know the obviously yours um but business wars um how, how i built this you know business around different or podcast around, around different scaling the oh my god what's it called three irish guys it's the stock club i can't remember the name of it but i have it on my Spotify. oh wall street is um, it no it's three irish i think it's called the stock club i have it on my phone um but 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 three but three really interesting guys as well so i try to listen as much as possible and i have kind of a rotation and i would listen to on, on walks and i'd listen to anything the dog out or the drive into work whatever it may be David, I've got to ask, you mentioned about a trip to Mongolia before we hit the record button and how that taught you all about business. Please do tell. Yeah, so the um, the trip to Mongolia, that was the myself and a few friends. I, I discovered it when I was in university in, in Oxford that um, you could drive to Mongolia. And I knew of a few guys that would want to do it right away. So we drove from Ireland Ireland, Wales, England, France, Belgium, Germany, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Austria, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, Turkey, Iran, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, uh, Russia, and then Mongolia. So we drove through those 20 countries, 11,000 miles. We did it in a 1989 BW Golf. Um, we got the car for 180 quid. And we, I mean, I think one of the first things that it taught us and taught all of us, and uh, certainly taught myself, <coughs> is, is the importance of networking and communication. So we, we had some incredible sponsors. We actually had Quinn Insurance at the time, and we got Quinn Insurance because one of the guys basically found out every possible connotation or every possible email that uh, Sean Quinn could have, and we emailed them, and, and they sponsored us. But we got people like Brew Vodka, we got Cavern Fennel, we got lots of incredible uh, companies to, to, to sponsor us. And we drove across, and the whole, whole aim was to raise money for charity. And we did. We raised for Make-A-Wish Foundation, and Christina Noble, 
But it, the Peter on networking, it made me realize that, that, that people love to work with people and help people. And building relationships and building communication and networking is just so, so important. And it helped us. The other piece it did, it taught us resilience. It was very much around. So we had some incredibly interesting sort of challenges. For example, I didn't get my Iranian visa. I had to get out to Istanbul. That was incredibly uh, uh, nerve-wracking, rocking up to the embassy of Iran to get that. It taught us resilience. Our engine fell out of Mongolia. We had to then try and pull that back in and hobble our way into Ulaanbaatar, the capital. But even before we set off in London, our drive shaft snapped and we had to get those fixed. So it, it, it taught us how to be resourceful. It taught us the importance of communication, networking, taught us resilience, uh, how a team, the importance of a team. So, you know, I mentioned that rowing was my sport and that brought it home. We were a tight-knit four. Uh, and we worked very closely and we each as well found what we were good at and we very quickly found that so one of the guys was incredible around um, navigation he was a navigator one of the fellows had you know had had that kind of silver tongue he's really good at negotiating the communication piece very charismatic and another guy was incredibly resilient actually really good driver but whenever we were there was four of us, and actually they pulled one person called Guy, Guy Craigie, who's actually now a director of Night Frank. Um, Guy um, was the guy that probably they looked at him and said, you know, blonde-haired fella, young fella, and they said, here's the weak link, we'll be able to get some money out of him. He was the most resilient. Uh, and he came up with a very good tactic that whenever somebody was trying to extort dollars out of us because they saw people doing this drive, they would shout dollar, dollar. And he would say, ah, you're a dollar, pleased to meet you, I'm Guy this is David and so forth. And he'd say, no, dollar, dollar. And eventually <laughs> they got sick of asking and getting ignored. But so it taught us the importance of understanding your skill set and building a team with, with, with skills that, you know, that work together, that, 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 that complement one another. I think the other thing it, 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 it taught us was, you know, the importance of, of sticking at it because we could have given up, but we knew what the end goal is. So we had a strategy, we had a team that worked, that worked very well together. We knew what the end goal is. We knew what the vision was. We understood. We developed the resilience piece. We developed the resourcefulness piece prior to leaving. We, you know, the communication and networking, that followed us through because we needed multiple favors, and multiple, uh, 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 our, our, our help, you know, many, many uh, incredible people helped us along the way. So it taught us, it taught us all of that. It was also a really good piece for me, and I mentioned before that rowing in Queens was kind of that pivot point for me, kind of to shake off uh, shyness and get out there. And it was it was a big game changer because you were out there in the cold face, and it's probably a bit dramatic to say it was life or death. But our engine fell out in the middle of the Gobi Desert. We were thousands of kilometers away from civilization, so we didn't understand what we needed to get done. We could have been in a very very sticky wicket, so. It's an incredible time, interesting, but I think anybody that's uh, going to embark in business or look to scale a business, I think if you can drive with four people, never fall out, build a successful team in a 1989 VW Golf with 157,000 miles on the clock, no reverse gear, no third gear, uh, it's potentially a good footing. Yeah, solid. Well, you're now the CEO of Host Ireland Business Broadband. What's your favourite aspect of being a CEO? 
Uh, it's about the opportunity for growth that exists. So the business itself was started in 98. Uh, we went into the broadband in 2011 and we've steadily grown since then. We've now kind of grown, we're, we're, we're in a position in Dublin that we call it Dublin. We work only in Dublin. We work in the business to business market. Connectivity is a really exciting place to be. It's a really interesting place to be right now because it's quite current. We, we saw that in the pandemic, how the need for connectivity and the, and the requirements and the robustness for connectivity has become even more relevant. So what I love about being CEO of this business is about the opportunity for growth, the opportunity for how we can do, do so much more, how we can connect more businesses. We genuinely believe that we have the best co connectivity product on the market. We want to get more and more people onto our network working with us because we know we can offer them the best service possible. And I think when you're working with a team that we are working with, we have a fabulous team. We, 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 our knock engineers are, are, I believe, the best in the market. Our sales team are, 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 are incredible. Once again, it's interesting. They share a lot of the same attributes as my father would have shared, particularly our head of sales, Rod Walsh. They care about their customers. All of our sales team care a lot about our customers. They're constantly communicating. They're constantly interacting. They want to do what's right by the customer. Um, th that is our ethos and our attitude where it is always customer first. We try to do as much as possible. We offer next day installs, you know, our maintenance, our, we, we keep our network team in Dublin for a very good reason because we want people there at the other end of the phone. You know, our, our account managers, our sales guys are always there to support customers. It's not, it's not that kind of great, the sales is done, not my problem anymore. We'll let the engineer sort that out if there's an issue. The account managers roll in to do the very best. So I, I, it's, it's unfortunate having the team I have as well. Yeah. So what I love most within CEOs, the growth and opportunity, but also the team I get to work with. Um, it's, it, it's fantastic. And, and they're a great bunch of guys. And I just, the opportunity for this business to continue to grow, to continue to connect more businesses, continue to do more and challenge and disrupt the connectivity market in the Dublin and Greater Dublin business market is phenomenal. I did a bit of research on you guys and you all, all that is out there is high praise. So you, you're, you're building something really good at the moment. Um, you've touched on your, your engineers and your salespeople. I'm sure it's a constant in your head that you've got to look after your employees because it's an incredibly competitive market. How do you create a good culture? Uh, I think we, the culture is, so we've always had an open culture, a flat culture, very little hierarchy. We don't stand in any of that. It's an open office, a total open office. We sh communication is key. Sharing of ideas is key. You know, everybody's opinion matter, doesn't matter. We, you know, one of the first things we asked, somebody just recently started with us there in the delivery manager role. And the first thing we asked her was, what can we do better here? What do you see different? So I think having that open communication, you know, getting, uh, um, making sure that they feel that they are actually giving to, or, or, or having an effect on the business, that their hard work and their energy and their care actually isn't ignored. It is 100% respected and appreciated. And so I think just making people feel welcome, making them feel valued is very, very important. And, and I hope we do that. And, and I hope if you were to talk to some of the team, and I would assume they would say more if they were anonymous, but uh, you to the team that they would, they would agree with that. We have been able to, since the formation of the business and my predecessors um, have always cultivated a very, uh, Family's probably the wrong word, but supportive relationship or mm. supportive relationships within the organization. And I want that to continue. And I think that's important. What do you like to do when you're not at work, outside of work? Uh, so I suppose gym, my exercise, read, all, all the normal, a lot of hill walking, 
Um, we got in hill walking in a big way. Kayaking, we bought a kayak during the lockdown. Wow. We got into that, which is kind of the next iteration of rowing. They're not, they're definitely not the same. When I was in Belfast, I was still involved in the in Queens Queens rowing, and then and then I'm just going to be Victoria. I'm not there anymore in a, in a meaningful way because I live in Dublin now, not Belfast. So it's probably the norms at this stage, but a lot of the learning I, I just finished. You touched on it earlier. I did a I did a, a qualification in Trinity. That took up a lot of my time, but uh, you know during that period. So a little bit of everything, but I tried to you know as I, I said read, read a lot, exercise, keep fit. I, I wish I had some incredibly interesting hobby. I don't. Um, I just fill my days full of lots of learning and lots of interesting stuff. Amazing. Um, I read a blog on on your site, and I've never. Uh, thought about this it makes sense having read it but i won't give it away for the listeners and it was the blog was about having a second broadband connection now i know your business is around business broadband so it makes sense but uh, can you tell the listeners why such a blog exists so when you come to connectivity in a business environment uh connectivity is so important in many respects, it's quite boring. You know, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, software at Sarah, there's not these cool things. There's not, you know, yeah. recently you interviewed uh, uh, Jack from Teelings. It's not that, but it is so, so vital. You know, we would sort of joke that your con- connection is more important than your electricity. You can work with the lights off and your laptop battery, but you can't work without a connection because we're so reliant on cloud. We're so reliant on software as a service. We're so reliant on connectivity. So, there's always challenges around connectivity, no matter who, who the provider is. There's multiple reasons why there may be a challenge with the connection. So we always suggest you have a resilient or backup connection. An insurance policy, the hope and the wish is you will never need to use it. But you would fail over to that if you ever need it. So if you imagine <clears throat> you're with, so we're a wireless ISP, but imagine you're with a fiber ISP and somebody put a digger bucket through, through the fiber or there's a, issue at the cab or whatever it may be and we've all experienced it outages it happens at every company they would feel over to wireless so we're an independent uh, network we you know we, we operate for the whole network is operated by ourselves so that means that that, cost, that company can feel over without any loss of productivity loss of time and loss of money so that little investment around a backup connection could save you an absolute fortune in the long run if you ever need to rely on it Smart, and it makes perfect sense. The the or like the the cost for the Wi-Fi is minimal if you're a big business and it goes down for a couple of hours. So, I love it. Um, do you have? Let me ask it this way: is, is there any commonly held belief in your role that you passionately disagree with? Oh goodness. Um really i think everybody what you know every ceo of the company every company has its own personality and i think what i'm not suggesting i am is i'm not going to be as, as narcissistic or, or as boastful set of successes here but i mean anybody who's good at the job or are successful or scaling or growing a company probably has their own things they need to do as a result of, of the nuances and intricacies of each company um so i wouldn't necessarily say there's something that I, i'm uh, something i would debunk or something i would challenge because i think it's it, Oh, it's, it depends on each company, each sector, each personality, what has been built. You know, as a company grows, it develops its own personality. It is, it's, a, it is its own entity. And I think you need to understand that when you're managing it. Yeah. I'm sure 
throughout your tenure of being CEO, you've come up against challenges. But if we focus on the last 12 months, is there any challenge or objection that you've come up against? And if so, how did you tackle it? So I think we came up with a lot of challenges that most businesses found. You know, we had to very quickly migrate from a office-based environment to remote working, keeping the team encouraged and engaged, you know, connected. We brought in multiple things, you know, like most companies, we moved to Zoom, we moved further to the cloud, you know, the communication piece, you know, around Zooms and staying connected to our, to our customers and to our colleagues was very, very important. I think every company has that challenge. And I think... I, actually, the, the, the first probably nine months of the pandemic or certainly 12 months of the pandemic was kind of the novelty factor was probably slightly moving away because it was all novel and we got into the office in the summer and it kind of was a rest point. But I think the last three months, the last four months were particularly acute for most customers. We saw, or sorry, most companies. We certainly saw it with our customers. We saw it with ourselves. That was a time that as a team, as a company, we really had to, you know, work closer together, improve the communication, understand that, you know, there was light at the end of the tunnel. But for us, it was slightly different. And we are 100% um, uh, aware of this, uh, uh, that we were in a critical infrastructure business. So we were still able to operate during the pandemic. We were able to, be able to work. Our colleagues were able to work. We were able to continue to, you know, to, to connect more customers up to, to our industry leading broadband. We were able to do all of that. There's a lot of businesses that were badly affected by this. So we, we were quite fortunate about it. So our biggest challenges were the communication piece, the colleague piece, keeping people engaged, working with our customers, making sure their connections were fit for purpose. But we were fortunate in the way that we probably didn't have the same challenges that some of the other businesses, you know, hospitality. So I was very aware of, of, of some of the real challenges hospitality and retail had, yeah. having been involved in the family business, seeing a lot of friends who I would have built, or friendships I would have built up, in the hospitality sector across Ireland, being furloughed, being be, be, being you know made redundant, losing their jobs, you know not having an income, that was a huge challenge. And and I, I'm so excited for the opportunity that's now happening. We can see you know vaccinations are increasing. We're, we are looking at the end of the latest pandemic. You know retail is starting to reopen. Hospitality is not too far away. So I think we're about to enter a really, really exciting piece. And I'm just delighted for all those who are badly affected. And I hope they do incredibly well in the coming weeks and months and are able to reclaim some of what was lost. And with you on that, three questions left for you. If I was to put a book on the shelf behind you and the author was David Russell, what would the topic be? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Northern Ireland, because I think it's a part of the world that is not properly tapped. You know, it's went through, it's had a lot of troubles. It's had a lot of strife, but it's the most amazing people, the most amazing part of the world. And I think it could be an it could be even better than it is. It just needs proper management governance. Great answer. Not to get morbid on you, but uh, your husband is safe. If you've got any kids or animals, they're all safe as well. But your house okay. is burning down and you can only save one item. What one item would that be? My MacBook. Your MacBook, Okay. Uh, Apple, I question. love Apple, and and then yeah. you have a Mac figure connected to the world. Oh, sorry, exactly. I thought you should say my my wedding photograph, my wedding <laughs> photograph, and then my Mac pic. You can put it all in a yeah, box and bring the box. Exactly, you want. I'll bring the box. I'll carry the box. I'll have a fire ready box to go. Yeah, uh, I'd like you to imagine it's the end of the decade, so it's twenty thirty, and you're looking back on the last nine to ten years. Um, you can answer this personally or professionally, but what would you like to be looking back on? Goodness me. 
professionally, I'd like to be looking back in a company that's continued to scale and continue to offer industry-leading connectivity. Uh, there's constantly challenge the market. I'd love to see our footprint in terms of customer numbers, you know, triple, quadruple. I, you know, I genuinely believe that we are the best connectivity network, certainly in the Dublin, Greater Dublin area, uh, in, in, in for business. I want more people to join us because I know they're going to have a much, much better connectivity experience, which is so, so important. So I think it's increasing the size of our business, uh, growing it, supporting the team, growing the team. Personally, I suppose it's being healthy and happy and, and having a family um, with my husband and, and continuing to, to, to have you know, all my immediate family, my parents, my brothers, and forever be happy. That would be success in 10 years' time. Uh, and professionally, it would be to grow the business. David, I, I've had a, a great pleasure in getting to understand you a little bit more. Before I end this, what's the name of your husband? Uh, he's also called David. David, well, well, look, I wish you and host nothing but the best, and I hope you manage this scale, and you and David, nothing but the best in the future as well. And from my end, the last 40 minutes have been a true pleasure. Thank you very much. It's been, it's been absolutely lovely to chat to you and tell you a little bit more. Beautiful morning, get the sun in my morning, babe. Nothing in the 